0: Hello and welcome to this episode of A Clean Bill of Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Galen Nuttall, and as always, this is the spot where I interview people who are up to amazing things, supporting and enhancing the lives of physicians, especially Canadian physicians. Now, I have a quick question before we hop on over to the episode. Have you ever wanted to work with a financial planner, pay them for their advice or a plan, but not have to buy a product from them? I got good news for you. I do that. It's called fee-based planning, where you pay for a plan that answers your top questions like, should I pay off debt or invest? Am I making the most of my corporation? How should I invest inside of my corporation? What do I need to do to be on track for retirement? And much, much more. If you want to know more and are wondering if you're a good fit for fee-based planning, head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com. That's G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. Read up more about it and book a free call where you and I will talk and see if you're a good fit for fee-based planning. And now on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Clean Bill of Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Galen Nuttall, and today I am joined with Dr. Vukiet Tran. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Dr. Tran is a family physician, and emerge physician in Toronto, and the founder and host of How's My Financial Health Doc Podcast, and the president of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. So certainly someone who's up to a lot of big things, and I look very forward to having a conversation and yeah, feel free to add anything. I'm very grateful to have you here and add anything you'd like to add to that brief intro.
1: No, uh, that, that was a great intro, Galen. Uh, thank you. First of all, thank you for having me on your show. But two, second thing, I really want to thank you for doing what you're doing. This podcast that you're doing is amazing because, you know, us physicians, uh, and I would say in the healthcare profession industry in general we need more of people like yourself putting the time the effort the honesty to helping guys and girls like us and uh, so your podcast is amazing thank you for doing what you're doing
0: Wow, I, I really appreciate that. That's, that's, I'm glad I recorded that. I'll listen to that when I'm feeling like down some days and like get a boost on the old. Uh, yeah, no, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, I love, obviously, you love podcasting. I love podcasting. So, I mean, really, what I'd love to hear and I think what people could really benefit from, because I mean, you and I have had several conversations about what you're up to, uh, supporting physicians with creating their own pensions, which we are definitely going to talk about. And before we end your participation in the upcoming conference in June, and you have a big launch date. Coming up, so like we're going to cover all that. Um, and before we do, I'd love to hear more about, you know, what was what's your journey been as a physician seeking to understand finances? And you know, like I'd love to hear a little bit about what what got you down this path of being interested in this topic.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, Like I got down this path because I was angry at myself. Mm -hmm. And here's the story. Like you have no clue how much, how many financial mistakes I've made in my life. So I'm going to share them all with you. But It stemmed from, you know, about six, seven years ago. So I've been in practice for about 23 years. I started when I was very young. Like I did my training in Montreal and uh, going through the Quebec system, Uh, physicians tend to graduate and become staff very early. So I was staff at a major emergency department in Toronto at the, you know, very young age of 26. I I barely knew what, you know, voting was. (laughs) And so I started working at 26. I came to Toronto. I'm trained in Montreal and arriving here, I knew nobody. And so I started working, rented an apartment and, uh, you know, I'm making a first paycheck. So I went down to the bank and I say, "Hey, um, now that I'm a physician, now that I'm making some money, what should I do with it?" And so the banker, you know, says, "Hey, we should, we should invest it. You should do this, open a bank account, etc." So I thought, "Yeah, sure, why not? Help me with that." So did my KYC, you know, and not surprisingly, as a physician, I believe that I'm sort of a conservative type of investor, mm-hmm. and so my KYC came out as conservative you know, Vu. why don't you put your money into this type of fund, that type of fund, sign this dotted line here and sign that and off we go to the, to the races. Mm -hmm. And, um, as someone who, you know, working when, when you're a physician and you start working, everything is yes, yes, yes. I want to learn this. I want to do that. I, I want to learn and absorb as much as I can as a new staff. And so, you know, working a lot doing a lot of shifts, doing a whole bunch of things, and you don't pay attention and i don't i didn't pay attention to my finances at all and i left that rolling for 13 years now for those of you listening to this podcast oh my god vu you're such an idiot like how could you leave your finances unattended for 13 years well that's what i did and that's that's all we knew like I'm not a finance guy. I'm a I'm a physician. I work and I treat patients, and that's what I do. So I kind of left it at that for 13 years. And just right after, you know, the uh, the crash of 2008, maybe a few years after that, you know. And I'm I'm now married. I've got a kid. And uh, bought a new house. And I'm like, I, I wonder how I'm doing with my investments. So I went back to the banker, which you know I've kept really good relationship with because I go to the bank often. You know, mm-hmm. deposit, with etc. Say hello from time to time, but never really checked on my investments. And so I met with him. Said, hey, how did I do? And keep in mind, this is not too long after 2008, the big crash. And he goes, well, you know what? Very good, Vu. Um, Since inception, you made 1.5 percent. Oh. Mm. Mm, mm, oh exactly He said he says that was very good and i'm like are you kidding me like 1.5 percent in 13 years and my jaw dropped and i was so angry not not at the manager yeah. like at myself i'm like vu what did you do for 13 years how could you do this to yourself why did you not pay attention it's like driving a car and not knowing exactly where you're heading and where you're going and my kids tell me that all the time Dad, where are we going i'm like oh i don't know why i turn left right <laughs> and so and i felt i felt so embarrassed so embarrassed and i walked out of there and i said no more no more mm. so i started on a journey of learning and this is And this is even after I did my MBA, like I did my MBA in 2008 and I had an MBA and I I felt so stupid. I Mm -hmm. felt so embarrassed. Like, how, how is it that some guy like myself who has an MBA has an MD and, and, and not know any of this? So I started to say to myself, enough is enough. So I started on a journey of learning. So bought a whole bunch of finance book. First few books that I bought was from Larry Bates. Uh, beat the bank. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I was blown away. I was, wow, fees, MERs, what is that? Um, And then I read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad Mm -hmm. by Robert Kiyosaki. And that was like, oh my God, that's how you define an asset. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I never knew what an asset was, but the way he looked at asset was also very different from the rest of the world. And then I, I read other books for, you know, finance for physicians and I read a lot of books on insurance and read a lot of books on all sorts of topics, real estate, finance, uh, um, you know, even, even retirement. I read these book from uh, Frank Vertiz, who's the former um, uh, uh, actuary from Mono Chappelle and talked about mm-hmm. retirement. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I need to retire at some point. Let's read that. So in reading all those books and, and I was, I had my own accountant and I had financial advisors as well. So was partnered up with a financial advisor, just bugging him, you know, on a regular basis. What about this? What what, what does this mean? How, how What does that mean? Why would you do this? Why wouldn't you do that? And so spend six, seven years learning about all that. Mm. And during my journey, I'm like, wait a minute am I the only one who's so stupid and not know this? And I started chatting with my colleagues and my colleagues, every time I talked to them about, you know, personal finance stuff, mm. the only thing they would say to me is, well, I invested in this, invested in that. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what about the other aspect of finance? What about tax? What about mm. estate? What about risk mitigation? Like, what are you talking about? Oh, by the way, my Tesla stock went up. Okay. That's when I realized That most of us, when we talk about finance, we only talk about investments. We don't talk about anything else. And you're a CFP. And when you talk to us, you don't talk about investments. You talk to us about proper building foundation, proper risk mitigation, proper tax planning, proper estate planning, how to do wills you talk to us about that and that's, that's your job.
0: Yeah. Corporate structures, how to use the corporation, like all those things. Yeah. And I mean, I do, yeah. And I mean, you've definitely said a lot of great things there. Like, first off, thank you for sharing that journey of like, you know, I mean, it, I, you heard me, I couldn't help but make that grunt when I heard 1.3% over 13 years. I mean, there's no real period in the history of the market. Where, I mean, I get it. They did their job. You did your KYC. It came out, it spit out an answer. You put your money in this thing that's supposed to match what you said and all that. But I mean, yeah, that definitely, definitely, yeah. I mean, I get that how that could sting. And then going on that journey of discovery. And I mean, it seems to me like you came to a conclusion that's, that's quite, um, I would, yeah, like unique to a certain extent is that... You know, yeah, like I I, I have people who who've said, Oh, Galen, I don't need to work with you. I have my MBA, and I'm like, You think people with MBAs don't use financial planners? <laughs> like, Are you like, I, I have clients who are accountants, like, I have clients who are lawyers, I have clients who are doctors, you know, I have clients who have MBAs, PhDs, like, you name it. Like, so it's you know, someone can have an MBA and not understand personal finance, like, that's for sure. And so, and accountants, you know, some accountants, you know, may not have a whole lot, of, like, they have good tax grasp but maybe not finance. So you went on the journey of of discovery and I think that's fantastic. And then now what I what I sense is you and like yeah, that that final thing that you discovered is like when people talk finance, it's usually, oh, I'm good because my Tesla stock went up, or I'm good because this one thing happened that was positive or something like that. And a lot of people just stay there forever. Like I can find out pretty quickly in a conversation with someone if they're probably going to be stuck in that mode forever of yeah, I've picked some good stocks and I think I'm going to be okay. That's exactly it. And that's
1: because it comes of a place of ignorance. Mm. Ignorance, not because we want to, it's because that's how we were trained, right? I tell people all the time and that's why I have my podcast because I'm, I'm on a journey of now teaching Mm. and I tell people all the time, if we knew finance the way, you know, finance, we wouldn't be doctors. We would be CFPs, (laughs) right? The fact that we are doctors is because we focus our entire life energy on trying to heal people. And and we're good at that. Doctors in Canada and US are really good at caring for people. Yeah, But we're not really good at finance. And investment is such a small part of finance. But when you talk to colleagues and they say, well, it's always about investment, which is the wrong thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, really, um, for sure. And, um, you know, what you said earlier was like, you know, you, you mentioned, you said you felt kind of stupid. Like, how could I have been so stupid? I have an MBA, I have an MD, like, how could I have made these mistakes? And the sense that I get and um, uh, Wing, uh, Dr. Wing Lim and I just talked a little bit about this, which is like, I think it's really hard. And I'm, I'm so I'll, I'll use my own example. I graduated from university. I felt very smart. I just I just studied like theoretical physics and math and all the like philosophy, all these crazy things. I moved to Venezuela where I barely spoke the language and little kids would laugh at me when I opened my mouth because I didn't know how to speak proper Spanish. And so I went from feeling really smart to really dumb really fast because I couldn't even express myself. And I remember that sensation of feeling really dumb and like going from that drop, right? And so I think it's really hard for people who are highly educated and highly specialized and very smart and confident in one arena of life, like to an extreme. Like I feel like physicians get to a point where they're extremely knowledgeable in one area. I think it can be really difficult to then look at another area like finance and think, oh, maybe I don't know everything and risk feeling like they look stupid admitting that they don't know certain things or opening themselves up to the possibility that they don't understand something. So, I mean, that's my theory of like having worked with a lot of people and like knowledgeable people, but I don't know if you've seen that or have a sense of that as well.
1: Every day, every day, (laughs) I see that every day, you know, medicine, I don't know about the other industry, but medicine is a very humbling industry. Mm. I've been practicing for 23 years of emergency medicine, and I think I've seen it all. I have seen nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I think I have the right diagnosis. I'm wrong 50% of the time. Like, this is this is the type of profession that I'm in, you know, frontline medicine. I'm not talking about second, third line medicine. You know, frontline medicine, we uh, make our diagnosis based on good history, good physical. And then we chase it down with certain tests. But if if we have a language barrier, if I'm not paying attention, if the patient has a has a misunderstanding and we could all speak English and and understand different things. Right. And so if my history and physical has a certain sensitivity and specificity and I'm now making a diagnosis, depending on how good I was that day, I could make a wrong diagnosis. And so I'm humbled. Every single day (laughs) where Mm. I think I got the right diagnosis and I don't, right? Someone's going to prove me wrong. Some scan's going to say, no, Dr. Tran, you're wrong again, right? (laughs) And I get that every single day because it's such a humbling profession. But sometimes we don't act that way and we forget that, Mm. especially when we are at top of our game, for example, you know, we've been doing this for so many years. I think I know it all, or I operate on brains. Like how, how can you be? at the top of someone who operates on brain or how can you be at the top of someone who operates on a heart? You're like gods of gods. Right. Mm. And it's really hard for, for people to think that, yeah, you may be a God of God in operating a a brain or heart, but, but when it comes to personal finance, you're probably a little baby. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And and I learned that the hard way. Right. Mm. I learned that the hard way and same. I have an MBA, but MBA teaches you nothing, nothing about personal finance. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: No, I mean, this is really amazing. Yeah. I hear what you're saying around that, like, like that, that humility of approaching medicine, certainly like you're saying, the front line of, of doing your best with the information at hand and then being proven wrong or right consistently. Um, and then one of the things that I was, I'm interested in knowing is that there's certainly a lot of information out there, right? There's your podcast. There's many, you know, the, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, there's a rise, I think, in great Canadian financial podcasts, specifically for physicians, even like a couple of years ago, I remember I was looking and I didn't find that many. And then I feel like they just keep growing and there's books and there's seminars and there's everything. So for a physician who's out there. And so I think you, and I may have talked about this before, but I pulled a whole bunch of physicians a while back. And over half of them, Canadian physicians, and over half of them said that they were confused around finances and they didn't know where to start and they didn't know who to trust and they didn't know who to listen to. So I feel like it can be really difficult for the, a physician out there trying to find like good information. Now, you've talked a bit about your journey of like reading books and like discovering, and obviously you have a podcast where you're turning around and teaching people, and you've talked about advisors. So like, do you feel like, is there a signal that would have a physician say, choose between the path of, I'm going to really figure out a lot of this myself, or I'm going to find someone who I can trust to guide me. Like, how can someone find that balance of like knowing, you know, which way to go?
1: That is an amazing question that it has so many answers to it. <laughs> so, so here's, here's how I, when someone approaches me and say, how do I know this is right for me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so first of all, there's no one right answer for everyone, but there's a right direction for everyone. I'll, I'll give you an example. When I give vaccines and I give immunization for polio, you know, small child, that's, is, is the polio vaccine good for everyone? Eh, the Directionally, yes, it should be good for everyone. Mm. But is it this little child has XYZ disease, I can't give the polio. Or this little child has fever of XYZ and I, I can't give it. But directionally, I know the vaccine should be good for almost everyone. And then at that point, that's when I tease out it's good for patient A, but not good for patient B. But directionally, I know it's good. Right. So I I find finance the exact same way. When we talk about, you know, risk mitigation and insurances, should people have insurance? Of course they should right? Should people have life insurance? Of course they should. Should people have term insurance? Of course they should. Should people have whole life insurance? Of course they should. But what makes term better for patient A versus what makes whole life better for person B, well, that's where the nuance is. But if you say in general, should people have life insurance? Absolutely they should, right? And so that's how I, I, I you know counsel people about it. And the other thing that I counsel people about, it doesn't matter what I say, at the end of the day, does it apply to you? Yeah. And, and how, how do you know it applies to me when you know nothing? Well, first of all, you need to know a little bit, right? Get some get some basics down. And I and I tell people all the time, it, personal finance is not magic. It's it's not it's not even as complicated as family medicine. No. Right? It's definitely not complicated as open heart surgery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What people need to understand is what is the power compounding? How do you understand mm-hmm. compound? What is what is time horizon? What is time value of money? What is risk capacity? What is risk tolerance? What is opportunity cost? Like, those are basic, basic concepts that doesn't need a neurosurgeon, right, to understand. So, once you understand those basic principles and someone like yourself or myself says, Vu, you need a whole life insurance policy because of X, Y, Z reason. Well, if you have a basic understanding of risk mitigation, a basic understanding of power of compounding, basic understanding of, of, you know, opportunity costs and you look at the proposal in front of you and you put all that together and say, yeah, it makes sense. Or no, this is not for me at this point in my life because you understood the other principles. And so, and that's the, and that's where the difficulty is, is that we don't even have those basic knowledge. Mm. So when someone comes to me and say, hey, Vu, you need to have, whole life policy, I'll look at them with two big eyes and say, you're trying to sell me some you know, snake oil. Hmm. But you're not. You're, you're you're trying to sell me something good and well, but because I don't have the basic understanding, I'm now skeptic. I'm now, what are you trying to sell me? But that's because it comes from a place of my own ignorance. Mm-hmm. And And so the first thing first is get some basic knowledge in personal yeah. finance. And I tell people all the time, People say, yeah, I have an advisor. I have an accountant. I have XYZ. I have a financial plan. Like, no. The same way when I see a patient with diabetes and I say, hey, Mr. Jones, you should take XYZ pills. It is so much better and so much better for the patient when the patient has a basic understanding of why.
0: Mm.
1: What's the diabetes? What's what's the end game here, right? Diabetes is not going to go away. It's going to stay with you forever. But here are the things you can do to prevent X, Y, Z stuff. And if the patient understands and has that basic knowledge, then they'll say, yeah, I understand why metformin. I understand why the insulin. I understand why I need to keep my cholesterol in check. Whereas when I tell that to someone who's not educated about that, I'll constantly fight and constantly have to explain to them why I'm selling that metformin (laughs) to them. Yeah. Yeah. And so same idea for finance. When, when an advisor comes to me and say, you need XYZ product or service, as a, as a consumer, if I have that basic understanding, I'm more likely to understand
0: mm-hmm. and
1: also evaluate, right? I should evaluate as well, right? Dr. Tran says I should have a metformin. Wait, wait a minute. Does it make sense based on what I understand? Right? And if I have a personal understanding of finance and you're proposing X, Y, Z stuff, does it make sense based on what I already have basic knowledge about? And so when you give the financial advisor or the, the, the investor or portfolio manager, when you give him complete control, then you've lost control.
0: Mm.
1: You've lost control. And don't be angry <laughs> 13 years later <laughs> when you're making 1.5%. Yeah. No. don't be angry yeah. at the manager, be angry at yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hearing like certainly having that foundational understanding and you mentioned some really great key concepts there. So it's like worth, you know, anyone who doesn't understand some of the quick ones you threw out there, rewind and re listen and look them up and figure it out. Like you said, the power of compounding and, you know, um, time horizon and, you know, risk management and all those things. And yeah, definitely um, it, it is, you know, exactly like you said, like if someone doesn't understand the why or the benefit or how am I going to be better off doing this versus that? Like, in what way will it impact me? Certainly people probably aren't going to think it's necessarily a good idea. Like, oh, this just, it sounds like something that you want me to do. And certainly, like I talked to a physician not too long ago and he was looking for an advisor and we ended up working together. And he said, part of what he didn't like is what he saw out there was he'd hear people say, advisors say things like, I target physicians or I target this or I target that. He's like, I don't want to be anybody's target. He's like I feel like I'm targeted enough already. My dad's re- my dad's a physician, he's retired. He still gets cold calls of people trying to sell him like stocks or like tax investments, like hey, you need to invest in the oil sands of Texas or whatever they call him and tell him to do. And he's like 75 and retired and he still gets these phone calls. So I'm like I get I get it. Like I get that sense of like, you know, and so I I really love that, like that idea of having enough knowledge to be able to at least sift through what people are bringing to the table to be able to say, like, you know, like you said, like the directions are all fairly simple, similar for everyone. Like, should everyone protect their income? Yes. Should everyone protect their estate? Yes. The nuance or exactly how they do it is down, of course, to the individual situation. Um, So I really like that. Um, so definitely there's one thing I want to talk about and we're talking or we're really getting into that topic of finance is I know that you've been on a mission to help physicians have more peace of mind around their finances, especially in retirement. So I'd love to hear more about the project you're working on, the launch date you've got coming up, like exactly what you've put together around uh, physicians and retirement.
1: Yeah, so we're talking about two things. I'm going to talk about the quicker thing first. Uh, The launch date for June 27th is the launch date for my quote-unquote masterclass. So I'm putting it out there for people who can't sit for too long and listen to an entire workshop or entire lesson of my seven years of knowledge all grouped into my head about to explode. um, And I can't make people sit through all that, right? So I've developed a masterclass where... I do bite size. first hour. We'll do some didactic teaching interaction. And then the second hour, it's all about Q and a, how do I, how do I fit with this? Why does it mean though? Why does it do this, et cetera. And so we, I pick specific topics and there's like maybe 16 or 17 topics. And I do it on zoom and it's Monday Mm -hmm. evening every two weeks and people, and it's, it's a small fee uh, and they can sit with their wine and, and we start chatting. So that's, that's the masterclass starting in June. The other one uh, launched December 2021, so we've been launched for five months, and it's called the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. This is why it was done. So you know, as I talked about my journey, you know, of 13 years, 1.5%, I'm like, I lost 13 years of compounding. I've lost 13 years of my youth. I've lost 13 years of just paying cost and opportunity, right? And and I felt like I was working, chasing after the next paycheck because I had bills to pay. I had a new kid, and I'm figuring out, you know, how I'm going to pay my bills, pay my pay my mortgage, and also have enough money to put my kid through university. Mm. Right? Forget about medicine; just putting him through university. And I was thinking about all that, and at the same time chasing after the next paycheck. And I never felt financially secured. Never, never, never felt financial. And and I, I, I'm I'm not a low income earner. I'm a high income earner, and yet I still feel this way. Why is that, mm-hmm. right? And why am I the only healthcare professional that works with the government that does not have a pension? Like, help me answer that one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, nurses get a good pension. Yeah. Uh, physiotherapists who work in a hospital gets a great pension, right? The secretary gets a great pension. The municipal workers get a great pension. Police get a great pension. firemen gets a great pension, but I work for the government too. Mm-hmm. How come I don't have a pension? That, and that always bugged me. And, and that led to the thought that if we were able to provide physicians, a stable, Organized, structured way of planning their retirement and it's set and it's structured and it's safe that they don't have to constantly run after that next paycheck. Mm -hmm. Does it mean we won't work hard? Of course not. We will still continue to work hard, but we at least know there's a safety net. People will say to me, yeah, we have a safety net. It's called the RRSP. Of course there is. But the RRSP was never meant for high-income earners. The RSP was meant for middle-income earners. In fact, it was never meant for low-income earners either. And so if the RSP is not meant for people like myself and my colleagues, then what is? So we have a product that is suboptimal for my retirement. And yet I look at my nursing colleagues and they're like, oh, they have a great pension. And how come I don't have one? Yeah. And, and having that, constant financial stress, constant financial stress makes me do a few things and people don't recognize it. It makes you work double, triple harder just to, for that next paycheck, right? And when you do that, you work more faster, longer, harder. And what end up happening, what end up happening is that now at some point you burn out mm-hmm. because you're constantly chasing after that next paycheck. So you burn out. And so a lot of people talk about burnout and we say, well, it's because of the government. It's because of interest rate. It's because of the EMR system in my hospital. It's because of the CEO. No, I have no control over none of that. I have no control over who gets hired as my CEO. I have no control over what EMR my hospital uses. I have no control over what Justin Trudeau wants to raise or lower taxes. I have no control over what the market does. Yeah. So, what do I have control over? Well, I have control over my spending. So I can try to manage that. And I can I have control over my taxes. Mm-hmm. The, the the best thing I learned from that book from Larry Bates, which is a great book, is his formula, wealth destroyer and wealth builder. And in the wealth destroyer, the biggest, most important wealth destroyer are taxes. And if you can manage your taxes properly and you can manage your spending properly, you're set. You're golden. There's really nothing else to talk about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I can I can work the way I want to work, the hours I want to work, as long as I manage those two things properly. But if we don't manage those two things properly, I'm constantly running after the hamster treadmill. No. And so in thinking about that, I'm like, well, the only way out is to give people financial security. And financial safety net, and that comes through the form of a pension.
0: Absolutely, man. So many things, so many great things to talk about there. Um, exactly like you're saying, like why don't you have a pension? And the RSP was not designed for for high income earners. And once you throw a corporation into the mix, like all the different options you have, like it's it's a completely different ball game. Like I always say to people, like any book on finance that's geared towards you know, people that aren't in your situation, a lot of times you really have to be careful. Like, once you throw a corporation into the mix, it changes so many different things. Now, the other thing you said about taxes, I really love because I, I have the same exact philosophy where I say we manage what we can't control and then we control what we can control. Like the markets we can't control. So we manage our emotions about the markets. That's my biggest role to plan the lives of my clients is to make sure that they don't panic, that they're set up properly. I don't pretend that there aren't other crashes coming even after even right after one has happened. I'm like, great, you're going to experience a few more. There's no doubt about it. Let's make sure you don't panic. And then the tax side of things, like it is fascinating like when I do plans for people, how much we can influence the taxation of things. And I'll just get like one very brief example and I know this is a slightly controversial one, but like when someone's incorporated and in a big hurry to pay off their debt, like I show them, and it's always up to the per- the individual. I say, look, if you if if your debt is keeping you up at night and it's ruining your style, your 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 quality of life, do what you got to do. But they have people have to be cognizant of the effect of taking a dollar out of one's corporation to then put into what is still low interest debt. Like you lose so much of that dollar to taxes, and when people accelerate it, like I I've, I've run the scenarios for people, like when they're paying it off aggressively, the impact that has in their long term wealth can be ridiculously high. So anyways, like I said, people want to pay off their debt. And I know doctors can sometimes sometimes be very debt averse, but they have to be aware of that, that, that decision. And like, just as an example, like I take that dollar and I pay off debt, or do I take off that dollar and I put it towards something like you guys are creating to help physicians create their own pensions. It's a completely different impact that it's going to have.
1: It's, it's emotional, right? Um, I've been, I've been taught by my mom, my dad, my cousin, my next door's dog, that I always have to pay down debt right you listen to dave ramsey cut the car- cut the credit card yeah, yeah. um you know pay down your debt as aggressively as possible but hold on dave ramsey is not talking about me and you no. they're, they're talking about the guy who's struggling in the us making 30 grand a year they're not talking about yeah. the neurosurgeon in canada but yet we we take that philosophy and we say we run with it and we think that's the truth and so it's it's emotional and people if people understood Right, if people understood compounding and the power yeah. of compounding, what you just said there, instead of taking a dollar and pay down a, a low interest debt of two percent, but instead taking that same dollar and put it into the market or into whatever a, a GIC, you know, even if it makes two percent, right, it, it, even if it makes five percent, I'm I'm gonna put it into something that pays that has an interest rate of two, but I'm gonna forego a GIC of three percent where I could make one percent compounded for the next year. 40 mm. years. If people understood that, they'll say, why am I paying down debt so aggressively? Yeah, It's because people don't understand the very basic principles of compounding, mm-hmm. right? And they don't understand opportunity cost. And there's another one that people don't understand. I'm going to say it on the air, but people will probably shoot me. OPM, right? Mm. Other people's money, right? And so what is other people's money? It's leverage. When yeah. People people understand leverage when they buy a house. Oh, I got a mortgage, right? They put 20% down to have 100% of a house. They mortgage five times, right? They leverage five times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People understand that. Yeah. But when you tell them, hey, you should do the same, but in reverse. Instead of <laughs> instead of paying the bank, you use the bank's money to now invest in. Oh, no, I can't do that yeah, yeah. because yeah. I can't sleep. But hold yeah. on. You just leverage five times to buy your house, and yeah. yet you can't sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So people people don't understand those basics and principles, right? And that's the problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and definitely, I know that we've we've definitely talked about a few of these topics before, and it's a big one for sure. I mean, any dollar you take out of your corporation, you have to have a pretty good reason to do so. And um, and so, I mean, I'd love to talk, you know, talk about corporations, talk about retirement, talk about pensions. Top of mind in that same survey where I uh, surveyed a whole bunch of Canadian physicians, I asked a question: If you had a magic wand, what would you do for your finances? And one of the most common answers was pension. And like even my own dad, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, someone once asked me, "What does your dad do?" And I said, "He is a uh, he's in construction, and he's a he's a nephrologist." And my dad looked at me. He's like, "Why did you say I'm in construction? I'm a doctor." <laughs> and I said, "Well, every day after school." We get into our car. You drive us to the stinky old building. We have to put on hard hats. You tell these guys to do all these different things, and he's like, "No, no, that's an income property that I'm renovating, and that's going to be like a, what I use in retirement." And at the time, I was like six years old, so I didn't quite get it. But when I grew up, I got it. I was like, "Oh, my dad, who has zero pension, zero safety net, is trying to create a pension through property. You know, other people are creating it through investments. You know, whatever you've picked." You know at the end of the day what people want is they want a cash flow in retirement. Like I have clients, I have very few clients who have pensions. I don't really end up working with people with pensions, but I have a few retired teacher clients. And like they don't really care how much money they have in the bank. Like, you know, they they care because they've saved some and they don't want to see it disappear. But like their paycheck is coming every month. Like they're not that worried when the markets drop. They're like our paycheck is still coming. So that's really what I love what you're up to with um, helping physicians with their pensions. So I love to I mean, whatever you can share on that and like the journey of that and what you're creating, I think would be really great for people to know about. I'll, I'll share one thing. I'll share one thing with the
1: audience about the pension. So I created my own pension mm. uh, and it took me some time to create it. And when I finally got that letter from CRA with the stamp of approval on it that says, mm. Dr. Tran MPC, <laughs> you have a registered pension. You have no clue, like the, Mm. the burden, the burden, the emotional burden just lifted off my shoulders. It was so powerful. I was ecstatic. And like you said, like if you have a good safety net, you're not so much hitting the home runs. You're not, you're not so much looking for that extra return. You you're happy with, you know, meager 5%, 2%. Yeah. Because, because you know, you have money coming in regardless. Don't underestimate the emotional outcome
0: of that. It, it is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, and that's it. Like I read somewhere where it said it was a financial advisor author out of the States who I love. His name's Nick Murray. And at some point he said, People care less about what's in the bank. They care more about what's in, in their bank account. Like they care less about what's in their in their investments and more about what they're getting in income because whatever people are saving. If it doesn't translate into peace of mind through steady income in retirement, then it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And I've met people who are sitting on millions of dollars who are stressed in retirement because they're worried. They're like, "What's going to happen? Do I have enough? Do I not have enough?" Like, they're not my clients. There's people. they are people I've met because they haven't answered those big questions. But like, if they had a steady income, then they wouldn't. They wouldn't have to be so concerned. Just like you said, you don't have to aim for those home runs if you've got this safety net. Um, So it's a really incredible. um, It's a really incredible thing to have. That's for sure.
1: Absolutely. And, and I've, we've made it available to all Canadian physicians who are incorporated. Mm-hmm. And the reason it has to be incorporated because you need to have an employer employee relationship, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to have a pension. Um, and I would say 90% of physicians across Canada are self-employed and they're contracted to the ministry, right? I, I get paid by OHIP, but I'm not an employee of OHIP. I'm contracted to OHIP. Yeah. Uh, or to any provincial payer. Mm-hmm. So I don't have that relationship there with the ministry, but I do have that employer-employee relationship with my corporation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so to to have a pension you must be incorporated. And a lot of my colleagues are not incorporated still mm. to this day they're not and I'm like why why what are you waiting for, right? Obviously as I said directionally I think all physicians should incorporate <laughs> directionally. Right. Uh, But are there some cases where people shouldn't incorporate? I I guess so. There has to be, right? Everybody has their own circumstances. But directionally, I think all physicians should incorporate.
0: Yeah, it's and incorporation—pretty rare. Pretty rare yeah. Meet a physician that shouldn't incorporate, like, yeah, very rare, right? Yeah, um, that shouldn't. I, I—that's I, interesting that so many haven't, because I mean, all the ones that end up I would end up working with incorporate uh, if they haven't already. I usually show them the value of incorporating. Um, but yeah, like, it, it would be a pretty rare case, I think. <laughs> Yeah. And, and it's rare, like I said, but there are always some,
1: you know, specific sure, circumstances. Sure. And th- the funny thing is those who are not incorporated will always tell me why they aren't. <laughs> like, sure, sure. Um, and, and incorporation is just step number one. Like it's the basic step. After that, you create a pension. Yeah. After that you buy life insurance. Yeah. After that, you create your RCA, retirement compensation arrangement. Mm-hmm. Now I just, I just said a word that's called RCA and um, it's not the television. <laughs> it's RCA, right? It's Retirement Compensation Arrangement. I guarantee you, ninety-nine percent of your audience, maybe even a hundred percent, have no clue what I just said. Oh yeah, because it's not something that is talked about. But it's, I think, the best-kept secret <laughs> in in the tax law.
0: Oh yeah, like I didn't even know about RCA until not even that long ago. Like I'd say, so I've been an advisor for nine years. I think I finally heard about the RCA maybe in my like um, sixth year of practice, fifth maybe. And then, when I did my CFP, of course, I it was there in the book. But, oh yeah, like it's it's a very uncommonly known strategy for sure. right. It's a very powerful strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, well, that's great. And so, where can people find more? Like, where should people? I want to make sure before we end that people have a heard everything they should be hearing. You know, I know it, it, it's not uh, as you said. You could talk for many multiple hours about everything. You know, obviously, and that's why you have created the masterclass. That what's the best way for people to find out more about the um, the physician pensions plan? Find out more about your masterclass. Like, what are some of the best ways to make sure people find those?
1: Well, thank you. Um, So for the pension is uh, Canadian Physicians with an S, pensionplan.ca. And on that website, there's a lot of good information and there's a contact button. You click on that contact, fill sure. in your email, and then we contact you. And then to contact me personally for the masterclass or other questions, I'm happy to speak to people. Uh, this is something that people t- t- tell me all the time. I can't stop talking. So <laughs> if, you, if, if you reach out to me, I'll, I'll speak with you for sure. Uh, and it's HMFHD which stands for how is my financial health doc. So HMFHD2020, because that's when it was launched, at gmail.com. So HMFHD2020 at gmail.com.
0: Perfect. No, thank you for that. And then I think what we should end on is, I mean, we didn't have a ton of time to talk about it, but if you could briefly touch on, I know that you're you've been invited as a guest speaker for the um, Physician Empowerment Conference coming up June fourth and third, fourth, and fifth, and you're actually giving two talks right at that conference. And so, what are the topics that you're going to touch on at that conference? Absolutely. So the first one is about, you know, uh, there's no more need for pension envy.
1: Mm. <laughs> which which is, which is the topic of pensions. So physicians never had pensions in Canada, uh, but that's long forgotten because we launched a pension for doctors in Canada December 2021, which is the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to be talking about that in particular, but I'm sure. going to talk about, you know, the comparison between pensions and RSP, the tax benefits of pension, the drawbacks of RSP, and why we should do it early than later, right? So that's the pension. The second topic is about the link between financial illiteracy and burnout, uh, which we've talked about a little bit. You know, there's another book that I suggest people read and it's called My Life or My Money from uh, Vicky Robbins. And essentially boils down to this concept. The concept is that we exchange our life energy for a paycheck, Mm. Um, unlike, unlike a manufacturing plant, I don't produce a car. I don't produce a widget. I don't, I don't sell on Amazon while I'm asleep. Uh, as a right. physician, I make a paycheck. I, I earn an income when I'm present. I'm, when I'm seeing a patient, when I'm touching a patient, when I'm caring for a patient, and all that takes my time. And my time is what? My time is my life energy. And when I dedicate that time, then I get in a paycheck and return. Mm-hmm. And so that time of mine is my life energy. I'm like a battery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because when you buy a Duracell or Energizer, you know there's 10,000 hours. And then you spend those 10,000 10, hours of of energy and the battery's done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, what about physicians? Well, physicians have a certain amount of life energy. You may call it 50 years, call it 80 years, call it 20 years. We don't know when we're going to die. We know we're going to die, we just don't know when. Mm. And so we spend our life chasing after a paycheck, exchanging our life energy for a paycheck. And if we do that and we don't and we're not careful with the paycheck, or worse, we don't even know what to do with the paycheck because we spend it all or we're not paying attention to our taxes because we don't have that liter- financial literacy, then that's where the burnout comes in because we are expending so much of our life energy without properly understanding how not understanding finance contributes to that. Mm -hmm. And so that's the whole topic of financial literacy and burnout.
0: Yeah. And I mean, what I really find fascinating, those are two amazing topics and they're also very closely linked. Like, you know, one of the, one of the things I compare is when people are not creating their own pension versus people who are creating their own pension, It's just like you said, like, I think of it as when you go to work, you're like mining and you're mining for bricks and you take those bricks and you build your life, you know, like, okay, I made some bricks this year. I'm going to take it, some of those bricks and I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to go build my life with a car or, you know, and then eventually the idea is you save enough money. Like the traditional way is you save enough bricks to then be able to take from that pile of bricks to create your life in retirement. But when you create a pension, in my opinion, you're creating a brick factory, like you haven't just created a pile of bricks that then you're going to start grabbing from. You've actually created a factory that's going to generate bricks over and over. And we're not going to go into too many of the details, but the thing that's better about that than the traditional way, which includes the traditional way includes RSPs. The ba- the better way of creating your own pension is that that brick factory, your kids can actually inherit that brick factory in a way that's much more seamless than the pile of bricks, the traditional way. So that's one of the things i look at like one of the analogies i've come up with over time is like it's a complete shift because the people who all, all they think about is i have a pile of bricks and i better not run out of bricks they're stressed the people who have a brick factory they're not nearly as stressed because they're like right. that thing is pumping out bricks every year and the bonus is they, they 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 don't they don't lose half the bricks when they die they actually get to give some to their family uh so yeah it's a it's a win-win-win
1: <laughs> absolutely and it's a great analogy and you talk about, you know, the bricks, the pile of bricks and lose half of it. Um, people don't understand that our biggest tax bill is that time of death <laughs> or maybe the day after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> So the day after my estate, my family, my children has to pay my debt mm-hmm. uh, and my debt. The biggest the biggest debtor is the government. We have to pay our taxes at the end of our life and we only pay it after our death. So in deemed disposition, when we have the RSPs, oh, half gosh. and if not half is gone. Whereas in a pension, it's not. And so there's a huge difference between leaving $10 million versus leaving $5 million versus, okay. you know, leaving $2 million versus leaving $1 million, right? Huge, huge difference. And when you think about it, if I have $10 million to, to leave behind versus leave behind $5 million, I now have to make up the other $5 million with my work. Yeah. Which means I have to work harder <laughs> to, to, to keep that $10 million because I have to
0: make $20 million to yeah. keep the 10 million. Can you imagine the amount of burnout that would cause? Yeah, absolutely. Right? And people are shocked. Like every time I give an estate planning talk, I use, I show how much, I said, if you die with this much in your RSPs, and I just use different numbers, like 100, 200, half a million, a million, two million. how much is going to go to taxes? And every time I give that talk, people come up to me afterwards and they say, I don't believe you. <laughs> they say, <laughs> and they say, how come I, how come, how come the person I've been with for 20 years never told me this? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why that, maybe they don't know what to do about it. Maybe they just think this is the way it has to be. And so, and I, every, I think I had someone day before yesterday, they said, no, no, I heard of some way where you can name beneficiaries and dah, dah, dah. I was like, no, I was like, once it crosses that generational line, like from a parent to child, like that's it. Like, you, you know, I said, I always say to people, you would never voluntarily sell everything you own much less on the same year, but in the same day. But when we yeah. die, that's exactly what's considered to have been happened is we sell every single thing that belongs to us all at once. So just imagine the tax bill that would create if someone has a cottage and a business. And anyways, I could go on and on. But uh, yeah, people are so unaware of that impact. And I get it when people are young and getting started. And it's like, okay, maybe that doesn't matter. But like, that's part of the job is to look 30, 40 years into the future, 70 years into the future and say like... What could your kids or grandkids do with an extra one, two, three, five million dollars? What kind of impact could that have on their lives or, or your favorite charity, like whoever you want, like the, the planning we do basically diverts the money from the CRA towards the people and the things we care about. And so and it's and it's all above board. We're not we're not cheating. It's just that with proper planning, you can actually actively do that. So right because you know, I, I obviously get worked up about the estate planning side of things.
1: No, no, it's easy to understand, right? Now it's easy to understand, but people don't get it when when it comes out of your mouth or my mouth, right? But yeah. we do this all the time. As a physician, we tell people eat healthy, exercise, right. <laughs> uh, you know, drink this so that we can prevent your heart attack or your stroke. 30 years down the line, right? And it's easy for physicians to understand that. Stop smoking. You'll have lung cancer. Oh, yeah. well, you don't have lung cancer. Now you have lung cancer in 30 years. So we tell people to do those type of things to prevent that type of disease 30 years from now. Sure. But when you tell them, oh, you need to save this way to prevent your financial stroke, they're yeah. like, what? No, I don't believe you.
0: That's, <laughs> right? that's, well, yeah. And the other thing I joke about is that's future me's problem. Like, you know what? you know, like there's this whole thing and I, I we won't go into it because we're running out of time, but like the, uh, the psychology of the future self versus the present self and like the future self, forget about that guy. That guy's going to have to take care of himself. Like maybe he's going to have diabetes and be overweight, but like today I'm going to, I'm going to do what I want to do. And the same thing with finances is like, that's eh, future me's problem. But I mean, obviously, you know, some people do take a look at things and say, Oh, I get, the impact of these decisions. Let's see if there's a way that we can shift things, still get what I want now, but then also get what I want later. So um, it's it's awesome. But yeah, so I mean, thank you so much for being on. Definitely everyone go to the website, canadianphysicianspensionplan.ca. Check that out. It's a great website. It's got it's got all sorts of, it's very easy to understand. I love the way that you've built that website. It's very simple. Like I'm always big on simple, very simple to understand what you're up to. And you, you, like you said, you've got the contact me button there for people to find out more. And then for people to contact you about the uh, masterclass, uh, hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. So thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you very much for having me and again galen thank you for all the work that you do on behalf of our industry and to help our industry so thank
0: you thank you for what you do oh thank you so much i appreciate it thanks so much for having joined me on this episode of a clean bill of wealth podcast i truly appreciate you taking the time to do so it really warms my heart to see the numbers of people listen to each episode go up it's just a lot of fun Feel free to scroll through the other episodes. I've interviewed a lot of really amazing people and just want to get their insights out there to Canadian physicians. If you're left wondering anything about your financial plan, whether you're making the most of your corporation, are you on track for retirement, or there are more efficiencies you could be finding, feel free to head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com. That's G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. You can read more about the work I do, uh, my offer of fee-based planning, which is pretty popular among medical professionals, where you pay for a plan, you don't have to buy a product go over there, click a button, book a free call. We'll have a quick conversation and see if you're a good fit for the fee-based services. All right. Thanks so much for joining me. Take care.